Good morning. Good morning. Happy Friday. It's wonderful to be here as your host on Lift Your Spirits Radio, which comes to you every Friday. You are listening to my amazing son, Dean Foster, who is still attending Berkeley College of Music. He's a senior this year. Flying <laughs> by thing. the seat of our pants. Like that kid, I swear, he was like this big. You can't see me. I'm on Zoom with everybody else. And, and, you, and, yeah. radio, and people in Radio Land can't see my height uh, adjustment here. But he is uh, just taking uh, the world by storm, it sounds like. Yeah. The music yeah. world, I should say. Yeah, he's doing great. He's loving loving life. Yeah. And yeah, meeting lots of people and having a lot of fun and making a lot of really cool music. And As you should, right? As you should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my name is Kassar Deline, and after coming my own challenges naturally, I work to provide valuable health options so you can make the best choices for your life. My background is in herbology, naturopathy, psychology, energy work, and meditation. And you can learn more about me and what I do at truehealth.com. That's T-R-U-Health.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. And for those of you that don't know me, I have a vested interest in what choices. I don't have no vested interest in what choices other people make. I'm all about providing people options. I want to empower people to know that there's options out there available to them for their mental health, their physical health, and their spiritual health. And today, we're fortunate to have a friend of mine, Eric English. Hey, Eric. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm so happy you could be on my show. Well, and I'm we've excited to be here. We've known each other a long time. Gosh. Yeah. How long has it been? <laughs> it's 10 to 15 years. years, I guess. Yeah, long, long time. Yeah, 15 years, I guess. Yeah, you designed my very first website, which was a very long time ago. You were one of my very first clients, so. That's, yeah, yeah. And since then, you got married, mm-hmm. and you have three beautiful children. Yep. And your wife looks amazing. Oh, thank you. I take all the credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, she looks like she's really busy um, and active and, uh, and yes. reaching her goals and, um, and making an impact, which is totally awesome. And also, you have written a book. Mm-hmm. So yep, which the is book amazing. is called, yep, the book is called Unenlightenment. Okay, and, and what is that about? So Unenlightenment, uh, the, it, it's, uh, the sort of fancy word is deconstruction. Um, but uh, basically, it's for those who are struggling with their faith. Uh, within Christianity, and um, either because they're uh, not in good terms with the church anymore, or they've had some sort of abuse, or they're just maybe criti- starting to critically think through some of their I- the ideas that they've held most of their life. This book sort of goes through and mentors them through this process of deconstruction and then helps them to reconstruct uh, their own faith. That's awesome. What an amazing thing. And how did you get into all this? <laughs> well, this particular book, there's a, a story behind it. Uh, it's been sort of in the works for probably 15, 12, 20 years now. Um, so I uh, was, when I was in graduate school, um, so my background is in historical theology and philosophy. Um, I had some bad experiences doing ministry in the church. And so um, I decided to go to seminary to uh, broaden my perspective. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I thought I maybe I'll teach or, or something like that, maybe write. 
And um, I just began thinking through uh, some ideas. You know, when you're in, in college and, and grad school and stuff, you kind of work menial jobs, just yeah. to, you know, pay the bills and stuff. Uh, you can't eat ramen forever. Um, and so you, uh, in the jobs I was working, I would work in bookstores and stuff, and they would provide me some quiet time every now and then to write thoughts and ideas down on scrap pieces of paper, or I would carry a little pocket journal with me that I could write in if I wanted to. And I really started to um, uh, be challenged in school and different things like that to rethink my own faith. And a number of years later, so I end up keeping all those scrap pieces of paper wow. and journals and stuff. I just filed them away. And um, a few years back, I, I busted them back out and began going through them. And it really just sort of traced my own journey through deconstruction. And I decided to um, use that wisdom to write a book about. That's wonderful. That's wonderful that you listen to what that information that was coming to you and you recorded it and were able to uh, put it in a forum with, that helps other people. Mm -hmm. So you, um, I had heard you tell a story before about a professor that you had at school that um, had you rethink some things. Can you tell that story? Oh, gosh. It's actually happened a few times. So. Oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. I'm trying. Okay. So we'll start back. I mean, the very first time that happened to me was my first experience in grad school in one of my very first classes. And we were uh, told to read a book by an individual by the name of Brian McLaren. Um, if you're unfamiliar with him, he is one of the founders of back in the day, it used to be called the Emerging Church back in the 90s and early 2000s. And now it's really progress or progressed. It's really uh, evolved into progressive Christianity. Uh -huh. um, but anyway, so we were challenged to read his book, and I actually fell in love with it. Uh, he, but the reason the professor assigned the book was because uh, Brian was considered, and I'm, I know your listeners can't see me, so I'm doing air quotes here, um, okay. a heretic right. of the faith. And so they really assigned the book to critique him and honestly just to sort of make fun of him. And... Um, but I couldn't understand why that was, because as I was reading him, I thought to myself, man, this the things he's saying are really resonating with me. And it seems like this is a more accurate picture of what it means to be a Christian in today's world than what my professors are, are trying to argue. And and I never understood the uh, why there was so much disdain. It wasn't like two colleagues who just disagree. It was more like there was a, a vitriol there, like a anger um, mm -hmm. towards towards him. And I just I mean, later I would find out that it was strictly for political reasons. Wow. Uh, he happened to be a Democrat. And that was really what that back then they really didn't think you could be a Christian and a Democrat at the same time. Oh, wow. So um, and then some still think that. But, yeah, that's um, true, yeah. So they uh, <laughs> so I never so that got me thinking like. Uh, there's something going on behind the scenes here that I just don't uh, understand, like in the world of academics and and stuff like that. So that sort of like started me on this journey. And as it turns out, it would all come full circle because Brian ended up writing a blurb for my book. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing how things come full circle? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Well, I um I really enjoyed reading your book because I 
it, you, you have so many questions in there. You ask questions of people, you know, to make them think. Um, it's not your normal book where you just read and, and you have to either, um, you know, take that, take it for what it is or, but you actually outline some ideas for people. Why, how did, mm -hmm. how did you get to write it that way? So uh, I think more books should be written that way, to be honest, yeah. but um, the, my primary uh, agenda, if you will, was uh, I want people to learn how to think for themselves. And then I think that's really what's lacking in today's church is that we have so many people who just are indoctrinated. They just sort of follow the group. Mm -hmm. And there's in, in many, even in many conversations, I'm still connected to conservatism and evangelicalism and stuff like that. And in all my conversations, it's just when you bring up some of these issues to them and, and provide them with accurate information, you, you see this look in their face like they have just had this aha moment. And it's because they've just been sort of fed information for so long that yeah. they're that they just don't know how to how to critique or how to look at new information in a way that allows them to critically think through it to come up with their own um, decisions on things. They just sort of like follow the flow. And so that's why I wanted. So there's sort of this underlying agenda here of this book that that most people won't won't get if they're just reading it. And that is that as you go through and progress through the book, you're learning how to critically think as well. Yeah, that's interesting because you have this, it's about this whole theme, but I can see how the questioning that you have, like you have that one section called knowing who you are, which I think is amazing because um, so many people don't know who they are. You know, they're, they're told who they are, again, air yeah. quotes, <laughs> uh, from their school or from their parents or their big brother or whoever, and they don't, um, they don't really know who they are. They're, and then they have to rethink that. It's, it's the same process, you know. Yeah, and many of these uh, tools that are in this book are, extend far beyond, I mean, just the church. Critical thinking is something that we need uh, in polit political spheres and education mm -hmm. all over the place, health. our daily lives. And health, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally, health. I totally agree, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's very true. Um, it's interesting. I could give you so many examples of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. You know, just, I mean, just with all the things that are happening in the world and um, using critical thinking to, to uh, you know, acknowledge it and look at what's happening and then um, ask questions to come up to a, with a better decision instead of just going along with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So can you tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you? Um, probably the best way is to go to the website, um, unenlightenmentthebook.com. Uh, they're a sort of like a central location for all things unenlightenment. Cause I also have a podcast and, um, I have a column that I write all of them called unenlightenment. So you can connect, and I also have resources, additional free resources that go along with the book. So uh, you can buy the book there if you want. It'll just transfer you to Amazon. Um, you can get the free resources, and you can connect with me if you want me to speak at an event or just send me an email. I love receiving emails, too. So so it's unenlightenmentthebook.com. Is that all one word? Yep. Okay, great. Okay. Just want to make sure we have that. <laughs> cool. So um, what was, when you wrote the book, what was the hardest part, do you think? Hmm. Well, I'll be honest. Like, part of it felt a little like that being back in grad school. Uh -huh. But it, it was, um, I had so much information already 
well thought out. So like I'm writing another book now and it is taking me forever. This book, I, I just dedicated eight hours a day, a few days a week. And within two months, the whole thing was done, edited, ready to wow. go to find a publisher. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just, you know, and some of them, even because, you know, some of the slips of paper and journal entries and stuff are older in my mind has changed even since then. So yeah. in those cases, I had to rethink through some things and challenge myself and come up with new articulations of things as well. So. So it's like the critical thinking never stops. Yeah, <laughs> right. It doesn't. It shouldn't. It's, it's not like you just do it once and you let it go. You continue. <laughs> well, some people do, but you shouldn't. <laughs> We won't name any people. <laughs> well, it's it's almost like I think it's also an awareness. I think, um, you know, I'm obviously I think that, you know, mental health falls into this somewhere, too, where mm -hmm. people have been controlled and maybe in their lives, um, either in school or with another person or whatever. Um, and and or in the church. Right. And yep. so it's hard, hard to break out of that because they don't know that they can, number one. And yeah. the the, the um, uh, tools aren't provided like a, a normal thing. You know, there is yeah. no book of life that says, hey, this is how you do <laughs> right. this, you know? <laughs> Well, so in, in the book, the last chapter is a chapter on mental health, and mm -hmm. it goes through and sort of helps provide some tools for people who, because when you start messing with people's faith, it really mm -hmm. takes a toll on people's, you know, mental health. And they begin, you know, a lot of people that go through this process end up becoming atheists or agnostics. And I don't mm -hmm. think that has to be the case. And so I w really wanted to end this book on a positive note to reassure people the things you're feeling are things that everybody feels going through this process, and that's okay. That doesn't mean God is still not real or that you don't have a faith or that it's not true. It doesn't mean any of that. It's just normal psychological things that you're experiencing. And that's why I like to view the book as sort of like being a mentor, because it does sort of come alongside you and encourage you throughout this process. And at the end, just sort of like says, you're not alone. Um, I encourage people to email me all the time, interact with my columns online. They're all related to this deconstruction issue. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, providing people with the ability to, to critically think and help support their mental uh, health as they go through this process, um, I think is really the, some of the most important aspects of this writing. Wonderful, wonderful. You're listening to True Health with Kassar Deline on Lift Your Spirits Radio. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more from Eric English and his book, Unenlightenment. Get ready for an adventure that will ignite you from the inside out. Join us for the Solation Backpacking Retreat, September 18th through 20th, 2023, in the Suquamish region of Washington. Immerse yourself in the beauty of nature, revive your spirit, and form deep connections with like-minded women. Experience the vibrant, alive wilderness like never before. Hike through lush forests, camp under the starlit sky, and find solace by tranquil waters. Visit SharonMaureen.com and email now for more information. 
Lift your spirits with me, Dina Marie, on Whidbey Island. I'll be a tour guide for your spirit and a travel agent for your soul. Retreats include a healing session for your body, your mind, and your spirit. You'll receive a Reiki session plus a chakra reading, experience a labyrinth in the woods, take a walk on the beach, and enjoy downtown Langley with me. Retreats are customized for you or a group of friends. You can visit dina-marie.com to connect with me today. Island time is waiting for you. Little Big Fest Music and Art Festival is back August 11th through the 13th at the Whitby Island Fairgrounds Event Center in Langley, Washington. Little Big Fest is a weekend of local, regional live music, arts, and family fun on a beautiful island in the Pacific Northwest. Come for the day or stay all weekend. Visit littlebigfest.org and get your day or weekend pass with or without camping. Check out the bands. That's littlebigfest.org. Thinking about getting away for a day or an overnight stay? Pristine Pacific Northwest Island Beauty is closer and more affordable than you may think. From unspoiled hills to uncrowded Puget Sound shoreline, from wildlife and stately evergreen forests to bald eagles and blue herons, Whidbey and Camino Islands have it all. They're both located in Puget Sound and are an easy drive from either Seattle or Vancouver, B.C. Both islands are accessible by bridge, and each island is a wonder of nature and scenic beauty to be enjoyed by the entire family. To visit this classic Pacific Northwest experience, visit WhidbeyCaminoIslands.com or like them on Facebook to see all they have to offer. You'll discover that island time is just a short drive away and can be affordably yours this weekend. Whidbey and Camino Islands, the shortest distance to far away. Organic, free-range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk, 1150. Thank you for joining us this morning. You're listening to True Health with Kassar Galeen on Lift Your Spirits Radio. And today we're talking with a friend of mine, Eric English. Hello. Thank you again, Eric, for being on my show. Um... So you ask a lot of questions in the book. Mm-hmm. So um, what, why do you ask a lot of questions? Well, a uh, couple reasons. The first is that it is a, I don't, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with sort of the Socratic method. That is that uh, learning takes place through asking questions. And um, it can be a little daunting to when someone asks you a question to then respond to that question without an answer, but another question. However, um, what that does is that's actually a uh, intellectual exercise in philosophy where uh, it forces people to not just be uh, given the answer, but forces their mind to think in such a way that they have to formulate the answer on its own, on their own. Um, And so that's part of the reason, or that's, part of how the critical thinking aspect of the book works. Um, and, and I don't also just leave them there. I give them what my thoughts are on it as well so they can see how I've reasoned through it. But I think um, even more than that is uh, within the church, there is this culture of um, not being allowed really to ask questions or and in some cases that it's considered a sin. Um, I had I was teaching a class in a church a number of years ago on how to read and understand the Bible, and I had a, a, a young girl in the class. She's probably 14 or 13, 
And uh, she raised her hand when we were uh, talking about this exact issue. And she said, I was, because she used to be Catholic. And she said, I was always under the impression that I wasn't allowed to ask anybody questions, that it was a sin. And it just broke my heart that this girl's mm-hmm. 14 years old has been going through life, not being able to feel like she could ask questions about her faith. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, if you look at the life of Jesus, anytime he's challenged by anybody, he asks them a question, and that's to, to um, have that person think differently about what, they're at, what they were asking him and to challenge the presuppositions behind their questions. Now, if Jesus asks answers in questions so often, why do we think that it's a sin? And right. I, I think the bottom line behind that is that the, the church is a bit cautious because they think that asking questions is the same thing as doubting your faith. Mm. And so let's just embrace even doubt. What's wrong with doubt? Um, doubt is a, is a natural mechanism that our minds have to question something that feels or seems unnatural or illogical or irrational. So that's just a normal mechanism that we have to help evaluate information around us. Mm-hmm. So instead of uh, telling people that they shouldn't question, let's embrace it and help them learn how to answer their own questions. Well, and the questions you ask are very open-ended. They're not just like a you mm-hmm. know, tough, uh, yes or no question, right? So it really makes people think and um, starts that process. Um, and then you also talk about um, being human in the book. Mm-hmm. So, so I think what really um, separates my approach to my entire faith is, uh, and it's really different from how I would say your average Christian um, understands their faith is that so the average Christian understands their faith through this technical term called revelation, um, and that's uh, this idea that God has revealed himself through scripture, through the Bible, and that our, our ability to know and understand comes from what it's called scripture alone or the Bible alone, and that's why you have Bible churches and uh, that the Bible is sort of the central authoritative piece of the, Christ, uh, piece of the Christian faith. Now, I, um, I have my own views on its authority, which is a not necessarily relevant here, but I, I don't begin there in the sense that I begin that all humans are born into the same foundation. It doesn't matter if you're born into a church, you're born into atheism or born into whatever. At, at the most basic level, we are all human beings, all of us, and none of us are any more special than anybody else. And we are all on a journey in life to understand this life, to learn how to navigate it, to, and in some cases beyond, how does this life relate to the beyond? And, and so I see my relationship, my understanding of what it means for me to be human is reflected in the lives of others. So I'm encouraged when I see, regardless if they're a Christian or not, we are all on this journey and everybody's at a different stage of the journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that how we should define Christianity, which if, if you were to define Christianity, culturally speaking, it's all over the place. Right. I, I think how we should define Christianity is in our, um, our ability to recognize this hope that exists. And that what's, that's what makes Jesus different, I think, and why I'm a Christian than other 
gods or goddesses or anything like that is that his wisdom and insight into what it means to be human is how I experience my humanity. And so um, I, I just think that – and then he provides that hope of the afterlife and, and relationship with him and the creator of all things. And I just think that um, – uh, to me, that's the essence of what Christianity means, to share that hope with other people, not to judge other people, mm -hmm. not to like um, say that you have to vote a political party, not to – like Christianity at its core has nothing to do with any of that stuff. At its core, it has to do with what it means to be human, how, what is it like to relate to others, what does it mean to love God, and how can we do all of that at the same time? Yeah, that's awesome. I think, um, you know, so many people have so many misconceptions of what that L is. I mean, mm -hmm. I grew up, uh, I, I was raised in the Episcopal Church, and mm -hmm. then I was Mormon for many years. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so it's, you know, you learn different things, right? Th th those spaces yeah. completely different from one another. Yeah. And yet when I was growing up, I always felt like I wasn't uh, good enough because I wasn't Catholic, you know, like my other mm. people in my family, right? Yeah. Uh, and aunts and uncles and that kind of thing. And um, so we always felt like, I think what they call uh, Episcopalianism, Catholic light. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, um, yeah. So, you know, you learn a lot of things and there's a lot of information there, uh, depending on, but I also had a lot of amazing experiences in, in both of those churches, I had very spiritual experiences happen to me uh, that I can't um, deny, you know, so, but then it's going back and looking at those myself and figuring out what that meant, means to me, and um, so that I can, I can put it in a proper placement for myself, you know, and yeah. I think so many people take it as one thing instead of maybe doing that, you know, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think Christianity, like the, the current state of Christianity really takes humanity out of the faith. Yeah, yeah. So in the book, you also talk about uh, grief because people are processing all this information yeah. and they're, and because of, you know, that's standard mental health, right? When you lose something, no matter what it is, whether it's bad or good, um, you're going to be going through a grief process. And I think that's beautiful that you take people through that process and you, you take them through the steps of grief, but you did modify them a little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I have a story about why I decided to do that and where I came up with that. Um, so in my own deconstruction, there was a time, um, uh, this would have been during my second graduate school experience where I really struggled with the issue of prayer. And for me, that was uh, more of a linchpin and so when I began struggling with that idea, it sort of unraveled a whole bunch of other things. Um, I just felt like uh, there was no real communication between me and the divine, that there was no, that my prayers would, I read written a poem about it, that my prayers had fallen back to the ground like rain and that they just weren't reaching God's ear, his inner being. And so I really struggled. So that sort of sent me to the edge of my faith and and where I began even doubting that God is real or exists or stuff like that. And I found myself deeply despairing over this issue. Now, I haven't been a Christian my whole life. I've only been a Christian since I was 16. So I'm. it's not like I've been raised in the church or anything. But mm -hmm. even at that point, I'd still been a Christian for like 15, 20 years. And so, but I, I just, I couldn't 
understand what I was feeling. And then it occurred to me that I'm experiencing grief, that I'm going through this grieving process because I, if God's not really there, then I feel like I've lost somebody that's been deeply personal to me. And they're no longer there, just like you would experience if a loved one died. Right. And so I began like, oh, I was like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense to me. So I began researching into grief and stuff like that. And so I found it to be incredibly helpful. Uh, and it sort of brought me back. And so I found that to be incredibly helpful and in why I wanted to integrate that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's very helpful to people, uh, especially in a book like this, um, because I don't yeah. think most people would take that step like you like mm -hmm. you were you had that awareness and not everybody does. Um, and so the fact that you put you lay that out there for people so that they can see that as a system and they have something to connect to um, and steps to go through uh, and so that they can recognize what they're feeling. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing. So um, also, I wanted to talk about shame because you had mentioned that um, when we were speaking earlier. Yeah, so um, it's sort of so my my christianity the formation of my original christianity was the 90s um that's when i became a christian that's when um uh, i began experiencing life in the church um and as is the case with many who were in high school and junior high in the 90s and even in the to the 2000s there was this the shame-based based culture that existed now that came from the sort of like uh, seven or, you know, even back to like the early 1900s, but then even in the 70s, the 70s or so, you would have this sort of hellfire preaching that existed where if you don't do exactly as you're supposed to, you're going to burn in hell. And there was this sort of like scare tactic. Right. Well, that sort of that sort of evolved in the 90s and had to do largely with sex. And so the church really targeted um, the youth, the Christian youth, and wanting to have what's now been termed purity culture. Right. And um, I go into a little bit about that. But um, but purity culture, along with um, there's also sort of a. Uh, an, a theological version of that as well for like people who either question or whatever the case may be, their faith or something a pastor says or their denomination, um, that if you move somewhere different or begin thinking somewhere different, then you're not a Christian anymore. And so there was the shame that was sort of like put on people and if if and like that you were looked down on because you were questioning things that other people just took for granted or see, that seemed obvious to them. And so there has been an evolve an evolution of shame in the church. And it's really rampant right now. Um, with especially within Trumpism and stuff like that. That really sort of kicked it into gear. I mean, there's a lot of things you could point to 9-11, but it was really uh, the emergence of Donald Trump and COVID and all of these things that really created this chasm um, that filled, that's filled with shame. And if you don't follow us, if, if you don't, for example, uh, believe what we believe about COVID, um, then you're shamed and you're shamed from the group and you might as well just leave. 
because you need to be a part of us. Otherwise, right. why are you here? Same thing with yeah. uh, Trumpism in a lot of churches. So, um, you know, politics these days are really uh, creating a more robust shame atmosphere, I think. But it's almost like it reminds me, you know, I just went to my uh, my class reunion a couple weekends ago, Aaron. It reminds me of teenagers, right? You know, it's like if you're not in if you're not in our clique and you don't right. listen and you don't do things this way, then you're not accepted and you get kicked out of the group. And and yeah. that gets back to your your other chapter on knowing who you really are, because if you know yeah, who exactly. you really are, then none of that matters. Right. Exactly. But um, and if you don't know who you are, then you're constantly trying to connect to some group to help you define that because you're not able to do it for yourself, which is really you are, sad. You are so right with that. You are so right. In fact, I, you know, a number of years ago made a point knowing this to teach my eldest daughter these things, to encourage her to understand herself, to know what she believes, to know how she thinks. And it has proved uh, just to be amazing to watch her not care about what other people think of her. Yeah, I think the other piece of that too is that a lot of times when you, you're you in that you, and you know who you are, um, it's, it's also being able to make those changes because a lot of times you go, well, wait a minute, I believe this, but now that's changed. And then, then it almost kicks off that other process. Right. And so if you, if you, it's like, you constantly have to think about it. <laughs> you yeah. constantly have to have to remake that decision for yourself. You know, it's taking that time, that, that quiet time for yourself, whether it's in prayer or meditation or whatever, um, to, to gather that for yourself and redefine that. To me, I find it's actually, it's almost like a frequency, right? It's like we get stuck mm -hmm. into these different frequencies yeah. and, um, and I, everything's a frequency. I've done shows on that before and, you know, food's a frequency and music's a frequency and other people are frequencies and events are frequencies. And if you get stuck into those bad frequencies, you know, just like watching the TV is a frequency, right? And then that brings in all that negative talk and you're, you're right back to where you don't know who you are because the TV is defining that for you. Right. So, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, okay, so I think we'll take a little respite here. So thank you for joining us this morning. You're listening to True Health with Kasara Nalene on Lift Your Spirits Radio, and we'll be right back. Your medical expenses increasing, but your health is not improving? True Health offers unique services where Kasara empowers clients with intuition, education, and proven resources. Better choices can be made when information is available. Now's the time to visit TrueHealth.com. That's T-R-U-Health.com. And schedule your appointment to achieve your health goals. Your body will thank you. If you feel stressed, overwhelmed, or stuck, join me, Dina Marie, at Marla Williams Transformational Retreat at the Bow Sanctuary in Bow, Washington. I have personally experienced transformation by working with Marla. If you are ready to experience a calm like you have never had before, feel more joy and happiness within, and get immediate results that last, join me at this amazing three-day wellness retreat and transform your life into one you love living. Go to MarlaWilliams.net and click on Retreat to sign up today. 
Epona Guide and the Dancing Spirit Ranch in Clee Ellum, Washington allows you to experience the magical presence of horses in the enchanted Cascade Mountains. Unplug from the daily grind to reconnect your mind, heart, and intuition. Reflect inward to find your authentic truth with a little help from our horse friends. These incredibly majestic beings are natural guides and facilitators in the work of empowering humans to unleash their true potential. Their wisdom opens an innovative pathway to create personal healing, personal growth, and a passionate lifestyle. If you're striving to rise up and embrace your true potential and to fulfill your heart's desires in relationships, career, or self-spirit, then visit eponaguide.com for more information on their powerful summer workshops and personal coaching sessions today. Connect with them and tell them you heard about Epona Guide on Lift Your Spirits Radio, and Epona Guide will give you a 20% discount. Plus, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free ticket to an event or private session. That's Epona, E-P-O-N-A, guide.com. Lift your spirits with us every Friday at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 1150 a.m. KKNW Seattle. We will be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities are guaranteed to lift your spirits. Miss a show? No worries. You can visit 1150kknw.com and click on our archive page or like Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie on Facebook for upcoming guests and events. To contact me, Dina Marie, visit dina-marie.com. Thank you so much for listening. On the path to good health and well-being, Alternative Talk 1150 is the station for you. Welcome back. You're listening to True Health by Kassara Deline on Lift Your Spirits Radio, and we're talking about Eric English's new book, Unenlightenment. Hello. So, uh, Eric, talk to me about the Bible, because I know a lot of people have, um, a lot of people believe everything that's in there in a certain context, and other people look at that differently. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, oftentimes, so there's this, this will get a little bit more technical as we do talk about the Bible here, but um, so there's this idea called inerrancy. And that has been defined by a specific school of thought as um, that everything contained within the Bible is uh, is authoritative and inspired by God directly. Um, that there is no fault, no error that are contained within the pages. Now, not only is that a very confusing state. Well, first of all, let me back up and. I would say probably a good majority, at least half of, of the ch- those within the large-scale church believe something along those lines. Um, and really acts as sort of the foundation for all other beliefs that come along. So, I mean, you want to get your, your, your uh, doctrine of the Bible down really good if, if, and really secure if you want those other beliefs to, that follow to also be secure and strong. Right. Uh, and, and people hold this idea of inerrancy with a, a certain certainty that exists um, because they believe God exists. And if God exists, he's perfect. If he's perfect, he's communicated perfectly to us as sort of the line, the rationale behind that. Um, but inerrancy is, act, and, and inerrancy is actually a newer thought, a newer idea. It's not really been around that long in the scale of the church as a whole, historically speaking. I don't think people understand that. Uh, especially within conservative Christianity, many 
uh, inerrancy is also often preached as being sort of orthodox, sort of the foundation of the church when it began, um, and that's not true at all. You won't find anything about the Bible in any creeds uh, or anything like that because it wasn't a central focus of the early church. And um, yes, they did hold the writings. How do I want to say this? So uh, the Bible really wasn't put together until the late fourth, early fifth century. So before that, there's a lot of Christianity in the church going on. And there were a lot of uh, writings that existed for the church. And a lot of people read a whole lot of different things, like hundreds of different writings, right? As opposed to the 66 books that we have in our current Bibles. Um, and so at some point, they decided to put that all together and, so, and codify that in something for that the church could have. And um, they, so they had to go through all these writings and they had uh, councils and they voted on these things. Uh, it, it created large divisions um, in the church when this happened. Um, and, but in all of that, the Bible emerged from that process as being the foundation of the faith. And that's what's important to understand and differentiate is that the Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith. It is not God. And when we view it inerrantly and in the way that many conservative Christians do, there is no difference between the Bible and God. And so there's really an idolatry that takes place with the Bible. Yeah. And uh, so what I'm trying to do is sort through those issues and show rationale that, look, inerrancy was developed out of the fundamentalist of the early 1900s. And although you can see hints of uh, inerrancy uh, in medieval times, nobody's using that term. Nobody are using those concepts until that gets really solidified in fundamentalism in the 1900s. And, there, I, you know, people won't, most Christians won't say the Bible's not important. Of course it's important. At what a level of authority do you give that? And, and, and also our humility. Like where, how, how are we 2,000 years later able to go back to such a historical document and say we know exactly what it's saying? I mean, mm -hmm. that's just hubris. And uh, we need to approach scripture with more humility and understand that our distance from its, its uh, writing, its construction is so vast that uh, it's difficult for us to, you know, even get in the minds of the writers. But, you know, we're more of an arrogant society because of technology, <laughs> and we yeah. think we know everything, and we're Americans. So yes. all of those things go into this view. Oh, speaking of being American, so I, I want to know what, so what do you, what, what does it mean to be a Christian now? Because we, there's so many definitions of what that really is, and I think so. <laughs> people get stuck on well it. yeah because there is you know in today's so there's a couple of pheno different phenomenons phenomenons taking place <laughs> the first is we're speaking specifically of american christianity we need to be clear about that because mm -hmm. american christianity looks drastically different than european christianity african christianity christianity all over the world to be honest um south american so um so there's that that's in play, okay? And as Americans, we um, uh, 
want choices. We want, you know, so this is where denominationalism comes in, why there's so many different denominations so that we can pick and choose uh, what, where we want to go. We, there are so many churches in America that if we don't like something a pastor says, we can just leave and go to the next church down the road, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which is another problem because people don't want to be challenged. And once yes. they're challenged, they could just leave and go to the next church that doesn't challenge them mm -hmm. and makes them feel comfortable. So there's that phenomenon. The second is um, politics and how much politics have in infiltrated the church. Now, this is a very, very modern, but uh, it is both very modern and not very modern at the same time. So there was a large gap where um, the role of politics and faith were very much separated but even before that so like medieval christianity for example yeah. it was very political yes um the church and the state were very tied together even to the fact that you couldn't own certain land without uh getting church permission or going through the church to do that right. um so on and so forth and so so then then out came the reformation and that sort of separated church and state a bit uh ironically uh, out of that also came the church state. Uh, why? How people didn't understand that was a contradiction, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> so from there, uh, then there's another break in colonialism and stuff like that. You know, the church is, is uh, and Christianity is informing the faith, but it's not necessarily one and the same uh, until about the, we'll say the, the Billy Graham era. Uh -huh. The Billy Graham era really... Um, starts tying the church back to the state as Billy Graham was both America's preacher and the advisor to politicians and presidents. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. And then it's just grown from there and become more a part of, of politics basically. And, and by that, I don't mean that Christianity and the church is political in that it's like any organization, there's politics at play within the organization itself. I'm not referring to that as much as I am the integration into the political body of government. And so that creates this really um, uh, specific form of Christianity and one that's not informed by the Bible, also ironic. It's informed <laughs> by your political positions. You know, right. These are the same people that will come down hard on inerrancy. The Bible is the word of God and all these things. But at the same time, it's their politics that are really informing their behavior, not the mm -hmm. Bible. Um, they conform the Bible to their politics instead of their politics to the Bible. Interesting. <laughs> um, so, uh, so both of those things are sort of like this. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, the philosopher from the 19th century, said this would happen. Um, and that's what unenlightenment means, basically. Is, okay. And there's a whole chapter in there on it, on how we got to this philosophical way of thinking. It all began with the Enlightenment. So let's unenlighten ourselves so that we can ironically become enlightened. Um, so it's basically deconstructing the way that we've learned how to think. So, so, all of the, so all of those things define American Christianity as it is today. And it's sort of like a diva. Christianity is like a news, the church is like a newsworthy thing. Like what are, what's happening today? What, this scandal here, that scandal. Um, and it's completely gone away from the original intent of Christianity, which by definition means a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. To But what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? And here's where 
um, being so more of a progressive thinker versus a conservative thinker really are different. So uh, in conservative thinking, it's about the beliefs. It's about what you believe about Jesus that makes you a Christian. In more progressive thinking, it's about your ability to imitate the life of Jesus. And that's what identifies you as a Christian. So, uh, so Jesus came, uh, so I, uh, as just to read a little expert or, or excerpt line out of here about the nature of Jesus, I say what Jesus did never diverted from who he was. So his nature was such that basically in today's terms, he practiced what he preached. Right. He went around and did exactly what he said. And he said, I'm setting the example for what it means to be a follower, to be a follower of mine. Right. And this is what you're to do. Now, if you were to poll people in American society today and ask them if they think, regardless if they're Christian or not, if they think the church is acting as Jesus acted, I guarantee most would say no. Right. Like, and for the, yeah, it, it, like, but if you were to focus on beliefs, um, if say, do their beliefs align with the Bible? Probably most would say yes, because right. why wouldn't you say yes? Because of course, <laughs> part of Christianity, right? Um, but that's important to make that distinction because in conservative Christianity, beliefs about Jesus, which are derived from the Bible, are the center of the faith. Whereas I see Christianity from the New Testament as not the Bible first, but Jesus first. Following him and, and, the, and the way we know to follow him and the things to do is from the Bible. That's why mm -hmm. the Bible informs the faith. It is not the faith. Right. The faith is what we do. How yeah, we act towards one another. Yeah, and that's that's right there. That's the crux of it, right? Is how we act towards you know, are we showing love mm -hmm. to other people, yes. regardless of who they are, regardless of the choices they make? Are we helping people, um, empowering people, supporting people, or are we judging them? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you were to if you were to take a, a sort of canvas of the conservative evangelical church. Um, how many homosexuals would you find in congregations? How many transgender would you find in there? How many uh, Democrats would you find in there? Because the church has created an environment of, of clones. And the, the church is full of people that all think the same. And if you all think the same, you're never challenging each other to think differently. Right. You had so I belong to a church I'm very proud of, even though it is in a specific denomination. Our church is very has a culture of accepting people and bringing people in that think differently. That informs everything that we do for being curious together and to grow and learn and do life together and to help others. Yeah, that changes everything. And I know schools are that way too, a lot of times, right? I know I've seen um, parents talk about that same environment, you know, where you have to do things. <laughs> I don't yeah. even want to get started on this topic, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, you're forced to be in that box. You're forced to um, do things this way. You can't be creative. You can't think outside the box. You can't ask questions. And uh, I think regardless of whether it's in your faith or the school or your work or whatever, the whole point is to grow as a human being. Why else are we here yes. on this planet other than to learn and grow and, and become all that we are meant to be and help others to do the same? I have a statement that will blow your listeners' minds. You ready? I'm ready. 
God does not love a Christian any more than he loves a non-Christian or any less. He loves them both equally the same. Yes. And I think for Christians, that's a difficult thing to understand. I think that they think they have some sort of favorable um, presence with God that's that's different and better than non-Christians, which creates sort of this air of arrogance and I'm better than you are. You have to conform to me because I'm the one with the truth, not you. Instead of understanding our shared humanity that we can learn from one another. Yes, yes. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think um, people get stuck on those terms and those, um, because again, I don't think they know who they really are. So they're stuck on something to think of what, you know, that I have to have this in order to be human, but you don't, (laughs) you can, you can, you can figure all that out for yourself, whatever that means for yourself. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason people's faith unravels when they begin challenging themselves is because they've never had an environment that's allowed for that. Yeah, they've just always been given that information. They don't even know how to challenge their own thinking. It's like, why would I already know the truth? Well, yeah, when I was growing up, I mean, kids were told to sit in the corner and be quiet. You were never supposed to ask. (laughs) You're never supposed to. You know what I mean? It's like, um, yeah, it's an adult thing. Yeah, that was the whole thing. And I think now people are asking more questions, which I think is a beautiful thing. So it opens up that um, chasm uh, for people to start uh, questioning a lot of things. So, I think in the end, it will make a better church, even though the church is splitting right now. I think in the end, it's separating oh, the wheat from the chaff. It will make something that's better. Yeah, it's just like cleaning your house, right? Before you yes. can make it clean, you have to make a big mess, and, and then you yeah. start organizing and reposition things and, and get them in their proper perspective, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, and I think that brings power to people, too. So I think that's a beautiful thing. So now you're open for speaking events. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I love speaking on this issue or any of the topics in this um, in this book, or actually there's a lot of even other topics that I, I speak on regularly. So uh, people can get in contact with me through the website um, if they have uh, an opportunity for me to speak on any of these issues. It doesn't have to be in a church. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and also related to that is this is a great book for group study. Um, at the end of every chapter, there are questions for the groups to ask. Uh, there are resources contained in the back, and I also provide on the website a uh, leader's guide that leaders can use that go in more depth in each chapter, provides them some additional sample questions that they can ask, uh, just a lot of good stuff. I know that you offer a free uh, 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 assistance on the website, so that's unenlightenmentthebook.com. So that's great. So I just want to say thank you so much, Eric, for being on my show. This is really wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. Join me. And this is Kassar Aline from True Health. And I really appreciate everybody joining us this month. And I look forward to talking to everybody next month. Suddenly, time has passed. It's gone by too fast. Who'd have guessed that we'd end up here? There's a voice inside my head that recites the things you always say. There's so many things I never said.
Too. 